Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod and joined by Brendan O'Leary. And we've got a seasonal topic to discuss today. Yes, we certainly have. So I had my sports day yesterday from school. My first one at the new uh, return to the school I used to work at before, but it's changed a lot. And it was a great day. My two kids had uh, a lot of fun there and I really enjoyed it. I just thought that this would be a really interesting topic to talk about because this is sports day. Pretty much every school I know of does it. It's kind of an institution and it kind of holds up a mirror to the school's value in how they present the sports day. So I found this article is from an Australian news source, ABC, and it is all about changes that a school has made to to the way they organize the sports day and the way they reward students. And this this has been like a controversial topic that we hear discussed a lot. And I know we'll get into this about the idea of participation ribbons and things. And I also just want to throw out the term that when we're talking sports day, we're also talking about like in Canada, what we call like a track and field day. So a day where there's a series of events and traditionally you've been assessed on how well you do. And I just went to the British term, which is a very parochial. It's a very old fashioned kind of term. And it's the the big idea here that we'll come back to in other areas of school is rewards and competition. And so the article is called No Ribbons, No Certificates. And it's about schools that are going, let's say, reward free in their sports day, track and field day. So they talk about a school, uh, St. James's Parish School in Victoria. And instead of competing against each other, students would compete against themselves as in they would record personal bests over the years they're at the school. Then once or twice a year, they would try and beat their personal bests. The co-principal, Peter Fahey, has said the whole focus has changed to practice, 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 and try your best. In the past, children competed, but it was at the expense of another child. Now they all gather around and cheer with each other. The whole focus has changed, and there's a wonderful sense of collaboration and community. And so here in some words that we've talked about many times already on the podcast. So then we dig into the details a little bit and the school started phasing out classroom and whole school rewards quite a long time ago, almost 15 years ago. And the hope was to teach students that success requires hard work, but they also wanted students to reclaim that love of learning instead of focusing on those external prizes. And again, the head teacher um, says, we're creating a community which has challenged and removed many of the pre-existing practices of a bygone era. And what is emerging is simply inspiring. And this diet of constant reinforcement and praise where children are told they can do anything has led to like a bubble wrapped cotton wool pampered kind of group of children while we're attempting to raise self-esteem but it's not having positive consequences. Again, this, these are the words of the head teacher, Mr. Fahey. Um, the article then moves to another school in Western Sydney, and it talks a little bit more about rewards rather than sports days, but it talks about how by removing rewards, they are maximizing uh, student engagement, intrinsic motivation. And so they're moving away from competition against others to competition against the self or self-improvement. And the focus is a community working together and not working against each other. It then talks to a well-being advocate 
an author, Helen Street. And so she's been encouraging schools to banish rewards for several years. The way she explains her take on this is that if we bribe kids to behave in certain ways, we, we might be getting short-term compliance, but we are not supporting self-determination or intrinsic motivation. And she also kind of rails a little bit against rewards for being nice and kind or for groups working together, because in her eyes, this doesn't actually bind children together in the way that schools maybe think. What it actually does is it makes students resentful of other students who, who aren't able to achieve what the team needs to achieve. So they're seen as holding the team back and it actually works against this kind of idea of community building. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of key of, of, of the story. Um, and then they do go for a kind of counter argument from Glenn Savage, who's a lecturer in education policy in the University of Western Australia. And he says that, sure, in an ideal world, you wouldn't need to offer any rewards or prizes, but the classroom is not an ideal world. And also rewards are an integral component of real world life. We need to prepare children for this. So removing rewards and prizes from school can risk establishing unrealistic norms. It can shelter and insulate young people from the real world. Because beyond school, you quickly learn that society and the economy are highly competitive. And there are rewards of prizes and grants and other limited symbolic goods. So these the, the shift of the article moves to rewards. But I'd like to pull it back to sports day. And so what's your take on that, Rob? Let, let's just get your feedback first on your opinions and then maybe we can dig into what the different values might actually say about this article. Yeah, there's there's a lot here that we could discuss. The first thing that I would go after is the separation of the idea of like rewards maybe versus achievement. And I perhaps have a slightly cynical view on rewards. And when we're saying rewards, I guess just to be clear, like this could be anything from in the classroom. You know, I've seen actual candy being given out for like, you know, if you do your work and you don't disturb others, you get a piece of candy. Like that was an actual practice in my grade two classroom when I was a kid. Like basically you did your stuff and didn't interrupt anybody and you were well behaved, you got a little golden gram teddy bear at the end of the lesson, which was awesome when you're getting cookies for just kind of doing your stuff. Um, I've also seen many different like economies in class. And to be fair, I've seen some of them work uh, in interesting ways where if you do certain things or you're rewarded for certain behaviors or certain character strengths and you get like whatever, a few dollars in the class's currency and that gets tied into some of your math and money understanding, like that's kind of cool. But ultimately that kind of reward that seems to be more for the system's benefit or the like school or teacher's benefit than it is for the student's benefit and they use the word bribing in here it's kind of like bribing to get compliance out of you like hey you might not have intrinsic motivation to do this thing but you have to do it this afternoon and at least if you do it you get this thing out of it and to me that's less serving the kid and much more serving the institution. Uh, yeah, that? I think each of the values potentially uses external rewards to get the students to do what they want them to do. So if you're an inclusion school, I've seen inclusion schools reward uh, teamwork and people working together in kindness. The Class Dojo um, kind of um, website is a prime example of that where students actually get points for good behavior. 
it's not entirely a negative thing, but it d- certainly is an external kind of reward for good behavior or teamwork. As you said, also, there's the compliance of you just have to do this, but we'll give you a suite or a, or a house point or whatever at the end of it. And then there's other, there's achievement paradigm. There would be rewards for passing tests or getting high scores. So everybody's kind of using it in some way. But there is this underlying feel that it, it is better if we can build an, an intrinsic desire to learn or to embody what it, whichever value the school believes in. Yeah. But uh, if we take it back to, let's say, track and field days or sports days, I'd be interested just to see how maybe each of the four values would be present a sports day and how rewards might factor into that. Yeah, let's walk up through the idea of a security track and field day, an achievement field day, an inclusion field day, and an integrative field day. And you've actually now had firsthand experience in at least the first three. So maybe you can you can take us to bonnie old England and explain what you saw as the kind of, I guess, security inspired track and field day. In yeah, I would actually I would put the the kind of village fate, very old-fashioned, very British sports day, somewhere between the security and the achievement. And thinking about it more, the the one that I would put heavily in the in the security range is the Japanese sports day. So both of my kids went through some state school Japanese sports days. They were actually a lot of fun. They were really formal, as you would expect. Uh, parents, I had to I had to turn up at the school gates at about 6.30 with all of the um, picnic mats and so on. And they opened the gates at 7. And we all went in and found our spaces. And about 8 o'clock, the kids arrived. We were there till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So a really long day. But there are speeches from the head of the PTA and speeches from the um, from the, the head teacher. What was really interesting for me was the races, um, they were all fun races. So they were obstacle races. And so they weren't super competitive. She's in keeping with the community spirit of the uh, security value but the main focus was on the dance or the performance that each class did and so my son in his first grade class he had spent approximately two hours a day one to two hours a day for two weeks three weeks maybe longer practicing a really quite intricate dance routine and uh, each of the classes performed this and it took about a, you know a good chunk of the day uh, really they, they looked like they were a tr- <laughs> Olympic opening ceremony kind of dance troupe um, awesome job but I'll throw this one back to you so like how, how would you interpret what I've just said in terms of the security value and just before I do turn it back there were were no obvious um, external rewards. There were there were some little ribbons and certificates kind of given out, but there was no big show made of who won each race, or um, there were no trophies per se or anything like that. Well, right off the bat, you talked about the fact that authority figures got to speak. That's not something that I saw in any of my Canadian track and field sports days. So that's kind of interesting to me that you kind of get this like omnipresent feeling that the next level level higher than you in the pyramid is like watching you and is always there. And although that can bring maybe from my side a more skeptical, like kind of paranoid big brother feeling, there is also that security of like, yeah, the higher ups, they're always here. We're speaking on your behalf. And there is often like a sense, I think, 
in the security value of the idea of lineage. And it's sort of like, this is what our sports days look like. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess some variation of that sports day that you saw probably isn't dramatically different than the sports days a decade, two decades, five decades ago within a lot of the schools. It's probably like when we do sports days, they look like this. Uh, you know, there's kind of a few of these fun races, but the important thing here is the dance part. And I'm guessing that is probably an ongoing lineage. And when I think of kind of lineages and the idea of like reenacting something over and over again, but with the new people involved, that tends to be a characteristic of the security value. Yeah, and it was a, quite a formal event and all parents were there. And it, it was a really nice community event. And afterwards, a lot of the local communities would then go and have a small barbecue together and things like that. This, they were breaking to even smaller uh, kind of uh, neighborhood communities. So we had a pretty good experience. And, and, that, and that, that's a key point right there. The idea that emphasis on the group or that emphasis on the community, that's another characteristic to me of that security value, that these events, are community events, or at least the groups that together make up our larger group. That's what these kind of events are for at that security value. So the next uh, value I would see was somewhere between the security and the achievement value, which is where I would put the British once. If you've ever seen like a, like um, some British comedy about a small village or a small town, this is exactly what you'd expect. You know, all the children in short pants come out with little tiny chairs and put them along the edge of the, the track. They sit there with a, a packet of crisps and some, some pop and they drink it and their mums and dad fussing around. And the events are usually are held on a school day. So it's you would get you get far more mums than dads, and they would have pretty traditional looking races. It would be like a fifty meter track, but the races would be like egg and spoon race, where you're running with a spoon with a little egg on it, and you can't drop it. Or sack race, three legged race. There would be certificates. Not a massive deal was made, but it was a it was there was competition in there, but in in a very traditional, light hearted way, and again with somewhat of a community feel. Yeah, is this in line with anything you've experienced? It's starting to sound closer to what I experienced in Canada. And this is one of the issues with our kind of narrative is none of these values exist in total isolation and entirely in and of themselves. So what I mean is like, you're not going to see a security only track day and you're not going to see an achievement only track day. You're going to see some kind of like blurred line between the two. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're talking here. I'm going to guess that the like egg and spoon races dates back to like 500 years ago and it's something like that the town's still doing and like you know like come on man three-legged races like this sounds like stuff you'd expect in like a town fair from like 120 years ago in some child's book like you know there is that sense of the lineage and like this is how we do this but it sounds also like it sounds like there's a shift towards a bit more acknowledgement of achievement or scores or times or the quantifying of what's happening in that day and i think that's the shift into achievement is when you want to quantify something and actually measure it and, ma and make a deal of those measurements. Yeah, and we're not making a big deal at this stage. And it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a fun event and it's a community event. And yeah, laughably parochial and, and looks like, yeah, it, th those, those races have gone on since medieval times in old, in old Wigan town. But um, then I would move on to something that I would say was much more in the representing the ambition achievement paradigm, even though this was in Germany, which 
churches, very traditional in many of its ways. But we had at our school where we worked together, uh, really quite a formal track and field event. Um, and actually my son and daughter, my daughter particularly enjoyed it a lot. She liked the formality of it. There was a, a real running track when you had a real running race and he did a long jump and the scores were recorded and they needed to be sent away to the local education authority, the local government offices. And they would then send back official certificates with your score uh, standardized against a, a set of criteria. And then we would have a, a few weeks later in the aula, the gym at the school, we'd have a presentation for all the students, but especially the ones that scored the highest would get a special certificate and they would come to the front and be applauded and lauded. And um, what was your take on the, the sports day we experienced together? Well, you, it's interesting you use the word formal because I would kind of more associate that with the previous value of security a little bit more when you were describing like the formal Japanese dance and that sort of thing. The way I experienced the track and field day in Germany was like, this just kind of feels like the Olympics. Like this is set up with the different events going on here and they're like fairly seriously measuring what's going on. Now, there's still like a lighthearted feel and it's a fun day. But when it's your turn, you're not like joking around and like being silly, throwing the ball or you're not like goofing around in the race you know, doing like a funny walk or something like that. And there was that real sense of competition. But from what I saw, that sense of like, hey, just do your best today. And I think in that day, there was a bit of a seriousness of like, just show us your best, do your best. And then it was sort of like the effect of that, the measuring and the acknowledgement of it did come later, a few weeks later, when the government sends back certificates and has assessed who achieved and surpassed the like national government standards for that. And those kinds of people were acknowledged. But yeah, the measurement was taken fairly seriously, whether it's the measurement of your time or the distance of your throw. And there was a real filtering. There was a desire to rank, hey, who's doing the best in these things? And for those who did do well, like, you know, I had a handful in the one year in my class, they took a lot of pride in that. And that was like a really, really positive thing for them to be acknowledged. You know, it's a little bit cliche, but some of them were the students who don't get acknowledgement in the other academic areas. And this was really a beautiful beautiful thing for them to be celebrated and to stand out. The opposite, obviously, is what about all the kids who don't get certificates and whatnot? I, in my classes, but I was teaching grade four, so they're a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and maybe have just been through it three years of not getting certificates, but they didn't seem overly bothered. It didn't seem to really ruin anyone's day, but I also don't get to track these kids for 20 years into the future and, and see what they dwell on all these years later. I'd say what we saw in Germany matches close to what I experienced both as a student and as a teacher in Canada. And that was formal, I guess, in the sense of, yeah, this just kind of looks like the Olympics or looks like a, a real track and field day. The thing that always stood out for me as a kid, and then also as an adult, when I was actually one of the teachers involved in this, was the constant announcing of scores and times in real time. And it often there'd be, you know, somebody on the speakers, first and foremost, telling you like, okay, grade six boys head to the triple jump or grade, you know, whatever. But in between, when they're not directing people, making sure people are going where they need to be, they would read out times or distances and acknowledge like, oh, we 
we've got a record breaker, you know, so-and-so has set like the new record for the 400 meter. And that, that record was set back in 1986 by this person. And, you know, we've got a new record today. And there is a real sense of like, hey, we are still doing this same track and field day that I did as a kid, or my parents would have done in that same school system. There is that bit of lineage there. But there's a real sense of like, we're competing against the past. And we're seeing if you guys now are better than someone else. And I'm just forgetting what the event was right now. But I, rem- I think it was maybe or shot put or something like that. And there was some record set by someone back in 1973 from the school that I was at. And no one had yet beat that up till like whatever year I was still teaching there, like the early 2010s, 2012, maybe. And it was a really big deal. Like the kids really wanted to try to beat that record and they didn't. Um, but it was interesting to see that essentially in all the other events, these records are almost getting beaten year in, year out. And each year, our kids are becoming these superhumans because they're faster than the fastest kids last year, which was kind of interesting to see as well. It's all in the shoes, Rob. It's just the shoes. All in the shoes. It's all in the shoes. But it, that is the definition of an achievement activity. It's the equivalent almost of a standardized test. If that was front and center as your main way to teach sports and you were having these every month and it was it was you were doubling down every month on beating not only your personal best, but the other people in your group and anybody who's ever run this race before in this school. I wouldn't have had Canada quite as the paradigm of ambition and achievement, but painting quite a picture there, Rob. I can at least paint my own hometown experience because I grew up in that area. I experienced one of those track and field days as a student, as a kid, but then I also got to experience them in my first three years of teaching, being one of the people helping to kind of organize them. So it it likely looks different in some other school districts. We've picked Wigan and King Carden. We're probably the outliers of being good representations of our countries overall. But um, but what I would say is both in the States and in Canada, we've seen this controversial shift towards the more inclusion type value. And I think this has almost become like a meme in popular culture of making fun of participation ribbons. Because what you would have seen at my school growing up in Canada was you only walked away with a ribbon if you got first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth place. We had colored ribbons for all of those. And to the best of my memory, you didn't get a ribbon just for participating. Now, to go back to our Germany example, you have those kids who are up in front of the school being celebrated. That's great. But what about, you know, the other 80% of the students who didn't get to be celebrated for their efforts and and challenges to meet some of those standardized scores and, and whatnot? So we move into inclusion and this kind of sensitive value. And it kind of says like, well, saying who's best ends up not including a lot of people. So one possible example, and then we're not saying this is the only one, but one possible solution is we don't acknowledge who comes first, second, or third, whatever. Just everybody gets the same ribbon and you've just participated. So that that's one iteration of this, but it's come under so much crossfire in popular culture. I think it just mirrors that same struggle that we're having to move beyond that very narrow measurement of success. And in this case, it's a no-brainer. It's 100 meters. If you win that race, <laughs> fur and square, you are the best you have achieved. Um, that's why it's when people try to take away things that are so obviously a competition and you have so obviously won that competition and try to downplay that. You know, that's your time to shine. We've set up this competition so that you can win and you have won. And now we're just going to give you the same reward as we would give to somebody who walked the course. That's one end of it. And that, that really irks people's sense of justice or fairness. And I, on the other side of the coin, 
point is like if these guys have put in a monumental effort but didn't start on the same page as everybody else it's like shouldn't that be rewarded equally if you've come from being able to run 100 meters in 40 seconds and you come down to 20 the kid who started at 25 and who's come down to 19 this is where the idea of competing against yourself seems to be somewhere between the two because the the straw man version of the inclusion paradigm is that everybody's holding hands and just having fun and there's no competition and whatever competition there is nobody can win it because it's going to make somebody else feel bad i'm not sure really where that exists I would bring in at this point my final example, which is the sports day I went to yesterday. So this is an IB school and its aim is for uh, inclusion. And I think the school had a really good try of balancing some of the competitiveness, but had a lot of these stations that were very much based on fun and inclusion. And you could compete to the level you wanted. But at the same time, we had house points going on. So it wasn't, it certainly hadn't moved away from that ambition paradigm. The achievement paradigm too far somewhere between the two it was really interesting to see how the school is aiming to bridge those two values because i think also that's the same issue that inquiry schools are having that you don't have a way right now to move away from those kind of measured achievements so what it was was a really it was like a round robin where kids were going small teams and you're only really competing against a few other people at one time there's a couple of points at stake so it's not high stakes and you get 10 chances to compete against these same people and then later on there were some sprints and relays that were optional students could opt in or out same with some of the football throw and the long jump they were optional so if you were a competitive person especially in the middle school you could get in there and you could really have a full-on competition against a few of your classmates if that's not for you you could be a spectator and just take part in the fun events and speaking to our head he was somewhat nervous about moving more towards this kind of path We'll get the feedback a little more over the next few weeks. Every parent I spoke to was really happy and saw their kids having a fun. Like, what did the parents like about this? So the ones I spoke to, they just really enjoyed the fact that their kids were having fun and they could choose the level of competition that they wanted to have. And there were some parents who wanted their kids to take it really seriously and they were able to do that. They could coach their kids from the sideline while they did their sprint. And there are other parents that were just happy to see their kids running around, squirting each other with water guns and uh, they Basically, it was a somewhat chaotically organized scene. And I'd be interested to get your take on that. But I want to throw in one little one little story that I already told you that, you know, kindergarten kids were running. They were in their, their sprints and there's the three teams. There's a fire, a water and an earth. Two little girls running in the earth team and they just reached their hands across the lines and they held hands and they just ran the rest of the race together, just holding hands. And uh, and they still won. Maybe that paints a metaphor. Love, love conquers all. Maybe. So over to you, Rob. If the question is, how can inclusion bring something to the like sports day, track and field day table? I think its first awkward attempt might have been to try to eliminate competition achievement, as you were discussing a few minutes ago. When we see inclusion as a value informing what a sports day, track and field day looks like, the more mature version of that, I think, is something like you're describing, which is, oh, we're not just going to try and get rid of achievement or measure measurement in order to be inclusive. We can actually be inclusive about the fact that different people would like to have a different sports day experience. And to actually make that an option, I think, is the much more enhanced, mature version of, of inclusion. Because if you go back to 
the Canadian version, at least that I'm thinking of, I would say like most of the kids more or less enjoyed the day. A few of them loved it. It was their favorite day of the year. Most of them like, yeah, we're at a class and it's something different. This is exciting. But there were certainly some people who are like, when the hell is this over? Like, when's this day done? And you could say like, well, it's one day of the year, kind of like suck it up, hopefully like the rest of them. But in the inclusion value is able to include all three of those groups of students. Hey, you want to seriously, like, you are sportive and this matters to you. We've got a space for that. Oh, you're kind of in the middle of the pack and like you want to test yourself, but you want to, you don't necessarily want that insanely competitive edge. Here you go. We've got a space for that. Hey, you kind of want to just enjoy the day, get some exercise, be sporty, cheer some people on. We've got space for that. I think that's, that's what the inclusion value can look like in its more complex form that begins to look more like the integrative value because it begins to take account of context the different starting places of people the different needs of people robert cloud wrap this thing up and tell me what an integrative school might look like on sports day so the trick to answering this question always is What's the baby and what's the bathwater from the previous three stages or previous three values? And how can we remix them to make something that's better than the sum of the parts? So I would say that one aspect could be something that came up in the article here, just this idea of you're competing against your own personal bests. And that can be a part of a sports day. So I, th I think what you'd need to do is just ask yourself from the integrative value, What's the most important part about the measuring? What's the like essence of a sports day here that we don't want to lose? What do we what do we want to be measuring here? And then balance that with the two other values and go back to the security value and you know tap into like a you know we were kind of making fun of it there but like tap into some of the local culture. Like what is part of our lineage here? Is it Wigan egg spoon races? Is it the Japanese dances? Is it the kind of Canadian importing of a series of events from another place? Like, what what is the kind of lineage of our time and space, like our place, our communities, our culture where we're living? What do we want to bring out of that? And what security do we want to have in that? And then also to come up to that inclusion, which I think is where you begin to get to do that remixing. And you can kind of deconstruct the sports day and say, okay, how do we look at ribbons? Is it the same ribbon system for all groups? Maybe we have different ribbon systems for the kind of three tracks of who's taken this seriously, who's engaged, but it's not life or death, and who's, you know, they know this isn't their strength and they just want to have a, a good day out of it. So we can go back and look at remixing any of these parts so that it serves the students. It serves their development now and serves their development in the long run. And I think, you know, that idea of competing against your own personal best, having that be measured in an event that like the group agrees is important. Yeah, I think that's that's a great start. And however you want to celebrate that and reward that and include all the different groups of people in that, I think that's cool. And I think my last point, I guess, would be one of the gifts that the inclusion value brings in is caring about someone's feelings and bringing in that sense of personal value of of someone's own emotional space and i think there is a place for that in a sports day and i think there's 
a place for that in a more evolved kind of developed way in the integrated value to say like, okay, the sports day, sure, it's this kind of one day that's totally unlike the rest of our school year. And we go outside and dedicate one whole day to these, this series of events. But how could we use this sort of like unique day or experience to get you in touch with something you don't get to be in touch with throughout the rest of the year? I think this is too big of a rabbit hole to go down now. But you know, I think it brings on the the um, it brings online some balance of your physical body and your like somatic or felt sense of doing activity. And like, how do you respond to competition? How do you respond to winning, to losing, to physical exhaustion? Like, there's that space for some self reflection on some level there that I think could be tapped into from that integrative value. And ultimately, these different types of sports days give us a glimpse at how each of these values sees the body. So in that security value expression of sports day, we see people using their bodies to like submit their own personal bodies to something greater and larger than themselves. You've got kids like your son who's spending several hours a lot of self-discipline, a lot of, uh, you know, obedience to the group, some compliance here to learn all of these masterful steps in order to execute something that's so much more impressive than what any one individual could do. And that's one of the strengths of the security value is to really bring out the gifts of the larger group as a whole and not necessarily um, have the few individuals kind of hogging the spotlight or, or stealing the show. Rather, you use your body to learn the lineage, submit to the tradition, whether it be martial arts or in this case, some form of more traditional dance. And you're using your body as an expression of that lineage because that expression of the lineage is what ultimately gives you that overall sense of security and, and belonging to something bigger. Then we move up to the achievement value and your body essentially becomes something that can be used to gain scores and can be can be quantified in some sort of way. And your body can be used to get you rewards and to get you advantages and to be celebrated. So at that value, sports day becomes about the individual and the individual is doing well and their scores, you know, being taken seriously and compared against each other in the filtering to see who gets the rewards and who doesn't. And at least in my Canadian situation, you know, you competed at your school's sports day and the best, you know, the top 5% from that went on to the next level of competition where they competed with people who had won the events at their schools. So there's this idea of the body is something you can strategically use to move up the ladder. So enough training or ambition theoretically could help you perform well enough on sports day to get those rewards. Um, or just that you can be celebrated for sort of the God-given talents that you seem to have as well. Then when we move up of, out of achievement and in towards inclusion, we begin to see that, well, this the body of yours, it's, it's a tool for you to engage with something that's authentic, relevant, and meaningful. And, you know, we see this expressed in the inclusion type sports days where you kind of make of this what you want out of it. And you can use your body to have the greatest day 
that you want to have. And there's, I think, a certain celebration back towards the body, maybe away from some of the demands put on it of those previous two values, and just a return to like, oh, let's just celebrate what my body can do. And it's not about competing against each other. It's about turning into my own experience. And if all of us are doing that together, then that's a cool thing for our group. So you can see a different expression or maybe an understanding of what the body is supposed to do in a sports day or in a track and field day through all three values. That one key point that I've reached through this discussion is that the sports day should aim to reflect the values of the school. One thing that was really interesting for me is that um, we do have a tug of war at the end. And uh, that is possibly the one point in the school year where for those two minutes, (laughs) all the parents and all the teachers get to be the value we don't tend to talk about much on this show. That's the one that precedes security which we don't we haven't given it a name it's the it's the red uh, spiral dynamics color and you see the fire in the eyes of some of the parents and some of the teachers as the tug of war ensues i thought that was an interesting part i'm not sure how relevant it is or if you want to try and even begin to think about what a red sports day would look like but um maybe not probably just looks like the roman coliseums <laughs> feeding people to lions at the end of it but my my, my the, what was interesting was that yeah that it seemed like that was the one minute of the entire school year where you could just rage out uh in this in this perfectly acceptable way all right thanks for bringing the story brennan there's ended up being a lot more here than i thought there would be when we started talking yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request, and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values, competing against one another in education. But let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.